and welcome to The Bunker Start Your Week, your need to know on news and politics. I'm Ros Taylor and joining me is Gavin Esler. Hello, Gavin. Hello, good morning. The Russian opposition leader, Alex Navalny, is dead and we can be all but certain that Vladimir Putin ordered his killing. The Sun says today that his body was covered in bruises. There's been a lot of hand-wringing over the weekend, but what realistically can we do to punish Putin? There's actually quite a lot we can do. The first and most obvious thing is help Ukraine win the war and defeat Putin on the battlefield and persuade the United States to do more, persuade the US Congress to get its act together because we're dealing with someone who kills his opponents and who does so fairly publicly. We all know about it. We can also seize more assets if there are any of the regime supporters around the world, and there are in certain countries. And we can also do something which we have failed to do, which is repeatedly call out those who appear to be supporters of the Putin regime. We have politicians in this country, Nigel Farage is one, who says that he admires Vladimir Putin. So what is it that he particularly admires about someone who is becoming obviously a mass murderer? What is it that Donald Trump admires about him and so on? And people like Tucker Carlson, who give Putin a platform to drone on and give us a 26-minute lesson in Russian history, which is a potted history that suits Putin. So there are plenty of things that we can do, and we just need to re-energize those things. David Cameron, the newish foreign secretary, has been quite vocal on this. He says there need to be consequences. How is Cameron shaping up in this job? I really admire him, actually, I have to say. I think he, I think he's found a job which he's very, very good at. In person, he is very personable. He's very well informed, obviously, former prime minister. He knows, he knows these people. He has got great energy. And unlike an MP, he doesn't have a constituency to worry about. He doesn't have to come back on a Friday and meet his constituents over the weekend or whatever. And he's also straight talking. I was very impressed with the way in which he told the Americans that they need to do more. So he's taken very seriously on the world stage. And I think actually the appointment of David Cameron as foreign secretary has been one of the best things that Rishi Sunak has done. So a shot at redemption. Well, we can go into all the other things that Rishi Sunak has done or not done or talked about, and uh, <laughs> they are definitely not so good. But Cameron, Cameron has been a hit, actually. You, in the past, have interviewed another player in the Russian resistance, Vladimir Karamirza. Tell us about him. Yes, he's a guy in his 40s. He's a Russian. Uh, I think he's got a British passport as well. He's an academic. He comes from a long line of political activists. If you Google him, you'll find out some of his very interesting history. He was a protege of Boris Nentsov, who was an opposition leader who was murdered. He's a friend of Navalny, who has been murdered by Putin. And I think the last time I talked to Vladimir, he was in Washington. We did a Zoom call. And he was planning to go back to Russia. And I said, are you crazy? I mean, why are you going back to Russia? Because uh, Navalny had just been rearrested because he'd gone back to Russia. Vladimir said, I am a Russian. I am a politician. I am a patriot. It's my country. It's my duty. He knew what was going to happen to him. And it has. He's, he's somewhere in the gulag system. We're, they're not supposed to be called gulags anymore. But he's in some awful jail on trumped up charges. I think he's got 25 years as a sentence. But I mean, you know, it's all kind of nonsense and made up. And he's in one of Putin's prisons. So I just hope that he is well. And I believe his, his wife, I think, is here in the West and is giving interviews today and will be talking about, about him. And I hope we can do something to alleviate whatever horrible conditions he's in. 
At the end of this week, it'll be two years since Russia invaded Ukraine. And over the weekend, the government announced that the visa scheme for Ukrainians would be extended. The news from the front line in Ukraine is not good. It pulled out of the town of Avadika on Friday. Zelensky says it's running out of ammunition. Can the US Congress be persuaded to send more weapons, do you think? I think so. I think the US Congress is always persuadable. But there is a kind of residual Trumpist rump who uh, just don't really see that America has got the role in the world that we've come to expect since 1945. I mean, the Americans have done amazing things about Russia, the Magnitsky Act, and trying to sanction Russian officials who, who've acted for Putin and so on. And they have been a supplier. But Putin's game is obvious. He just thinks that we'll all get tired. We live in democracies. And for American voters, it's a long way away, a country of which we know nothing. And uh, it might be all right to let Putin have some of it. And one of the things that really struck me, I was in the United States in the last couple of weeks, some Americans think that Putin has got a legitimate claim on Ukraine, because this is what they hear from, uh, from Trump and his supporters. And therefore, it's okay to have it back, as one of them put it to me. And I said to him, well, you know, Mexico perhaps then has got a legitimate claim on Texas, but would you be happy to see Mexico taking over part of Texas. So maybe, maybe, even for those American voters, this message is getting through that Putin is a monster. There's a panorama investigation about the British in Afghanistan, which is leading the BBC today, and it's pretty shameful. What happened? Well, the allegation is that British special forces essentially murdered Afghans and they've covered it up. And that also we are told that the British army was given the right to say yes or no on which Afghans from Afghan special forces, the people aiding British special forces, should be allowed to come back into the United Kingdom. And the allegation is that this is a conflict of interest, because obviously some of those Afghans may have witnessed, may, I don't know the the details, nobody knows for sure exactly what happened, but some of those Afghans may have witnessed things which are considered to be war crimes. That's the allegation. And so the prospect of a conflict of interest is very, very interesting here. Why would the British army be able to say yes or no to the people who come into this country? Back in the US, Ezra Klein became the latest Democrat commentator to urge Joe Biden to stand down. How might that happen in practice? Do you think it's even a possibility? I suppose it is a possibility, but it's very difficult to see how it will happen in practice because Biden seems determined to continue. And also, it's all very well for for Ezra Klein to say Biden should step down. Well, who's who's their candidate that's going to defeat Trump? And how does that candidate emerge? I mean, it's a mess, isn't it? For most Americans, it's not the greatest choice between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And Trump, of course, has his own problems, including the fact that he doesn't seem to be the world's most successful businessman, despite everything that he's been saying since he keeps losing money. One of the most interesting things I heard recently was from Nikki Haley, who is still in the race. Um, She's not doing very well because Trump has such dominance over the party. But she said she made a very interesting argument recently, which was that the United States, one way or another, will have a woman president within the next four years. And I thought, what? What is she talking about? What she says is, Trump cannot defeat Biden. But I can, she says. So that would give you, give us a woman president. And if Biden wins, he won't last more than a year or two because he will hand over 
to the vice president, who is a woman, Kamala Harris. So uh, whether you buy that argument or not, there is still on both sides considerable discontent about their candidates. And um, Biden at the moment certainly seems to feel that he has got the best chance of winning. And when I've talked to, to Democrats, they say that it is very, very difficult to force him not to run unless something happened to his health, which was catastrophic. The right-wing conference CPAC is happening this week in Maryland, and Liz Truss is speaking there, along with the likes of Nigel Farage, Donald Trump himself, and the president of Argentina, Javier Milai. What is trust doing there? Making money, I suspect. I mean, can we take a step back and just ask ourselves, what kind of people would pay money to listen to Liz Truss? I mean, <laughs> most people, I think, in Britain anyway, would pay money not to listen to Liz Truss. So um, good luck to them. I mean, if they're giving her money, it's uh, I mean, it's comedy gold, isn't it? She will be paid a fairly large sum, I'm sure, and will be telling them how successful she was in her 12 minutes as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. <laughs> may, may God have mercy on their souls. Speaking of the right, there are still rumours of a move against Rishi Sunak soon. Is there anything that he can do to turn around the polls at this point? He could call a general election. I've always thought, and I've talked to quite a few people within the Labour Party who planned about, about this, that the sensible thing for him to do would be to call a May election for two or three reasons. One is, he's just twisting in the wind, isn't he? And the, this stuff about uh, you know pl plots and plans to unseat him will continue. Were he to call a May election, it would force the Conservative Party, such as it is, to come together. Because the problem with the Conservative Party isn't Rishi Sunak. The problem with the Conservative Party is the Conservative Party. They're a shambles. And they know it, and they don't like each other. In fact, they loathe each other in many cases. So the only way to pull them together would be to try to have an earlier election rather than at the end of the year. And the other thing about that is, if he doesn't do this, the May elections for local government will go ahead anyway, and it will be another um, you know, slaughter of the innocents, or not so innocents in some cases. So that's the one thing I think he could do. What he can't do is make sure somebody goes back to Rwanda just because he says the place is safe. What he can't do, it seems to me, is to turn the economy around, which is not in a great shape. So beyond that, I, I can't think of anything else he could do. Kemi Badenoch is one of the people who are tipped to be the next Tory leader, almost certainly after the next election. She has got into a major spat with the former chair of the post office. She says he's lying when he claims the government told him to slow down compensation payments for sub-postmasters, and that argument moves to the Commons today. Labour has been shifting its position a bit on the war in Israel. Keir Starmer says that a ceasefire that lasts must happen now, which is a bit of a move in his previous position. The Scottish National Party are leading a vote on Wednesday in the Commons that calls for an immediate ceasefire, and Labour has to decide whether to back that. They may be mindful of the threat of cat-loving George Galloway being elected in Rochdale next week. Israel has no intention of calling a ceasefire. In fact, it said it will attack Rafa by 10th of March unless all the Israeli hostages are released. That's the beginning of Ramadan. Meanwhile, David Lammy and Starmer have been at the Munich Security Conference this weekend talking about a UK-EU defence agreement. What could that mean, Gavin? I think this is very interesting. I think it, there's a lot of moves within the European Union 
and within the European leg of NATO to try to strengthen European defence because they're very worried, and they don't say it quite so openly, but they're very worried about a Trump presidency and not knowing what Trump will do, because Trump doesn't know what he will do either, because he's got so many other things on his plate at the moment. So it's a kind of Trump insurance. And it's something that has been the idea of a EU pillar or a European pillar of NATO becoming stronger has been something that the Gaullists in France, Macron as well in France, have suggested for years. And it's very interesting that the UK, because we still have, despite the fact that the British army has been diminished uh, considerably, and also the fleet actually, in some ways, uh, we are still um, a military power of considerable significance within Europe. So there's a whole lot, as you know, going on there and Germany's Zeitenwende, the the time shift or uh, change of policy towards putting more money in the military, and actually Trump's statement, rather unwise statement, many people thought, including me, to say that those who don't pay two percent of the GDP to to NATO won't be defended. The Russians can come and invade them. That at least has been one of the nastier wake-up calls. So all of this is very interesting. It'd be very interesting to see how it plays out. And it will perhaps mean one of the many steps towards the United Kingdom, if there is a Labour government, becoming closer to the EU in different ways. It is extraordinary in many ways, isn't it? Because the talk of a European army was one of the things that was used to send us out of the EU. Yes, I mean, it is It is interesting, isn't it, that there's so many aspects to this too. I mean, Americans for the past century, of course, did not want to get involved in European wars. And it took 1917, one year after presidential election, for them to get involved in World War One. It took 1941, one year after a presidential election, for them to get involved in World War Two, And the run-up to a presidential election is at a time when a presidential candidate can make some capital out of isolationism. And Trump is doing it because he's struggling. And we learnt over the weekend from a new biography that Keir Starmer almost resigned in 2021 after Labour lost a by-election in Hartlepool. How times change. Meanwhile, doctors in Wales are striking on Wednesday for three days and English doctors start a six-day strike. So try not to fall seriously ill, particularly as the BBC is reporting on a hidden waiting list, which is apparently even bigger than the 7.6 million people that we already knew about. Ofgem announces the new energy price cap on Friday, which should bring some rare good news. Schools have been told to ban phones during the day, though most of them do already. Are you in favour of this measure, Gavin? Well, I've got two children with uh, phones that we have certain rules at home about when they can use and so on. And actually, the school, the schools have quite sensible rules, which is you're not allowed to use them in school buildings and you're not allowed to use them at certain other times. And that seems to me head teachers are not stupid and other teachers are not stupid. So well done, government, for finally catching up with every teenager in the in the country in terms of the rules about phones. I mean, hello. Yes, apparently 97% of 12-year-olds now have a smartphone, which is extraordinary, extraordinary number. And the Odysseus lander could touch down on the moon. Yesterday, Gavin, was the BAFTAs. David Tennant was hosting and he wore a kilt and sporran. And he looked quite good in it. <laughs> and he got also I've got a kilt and sporran. I'm not sure I look so good in it, but... It's a good thing to wear, David. In the in the Esla Tartan. Seaforth Mackenzie, actually. Since you ask. Yes. (laughs) Magic my eyes. 
<laughs> and he brought along a small dog as well. Oppenheimer won big. I was disappointed that the holdovers didn't get best film because, uh, yeah, oh, I haven't seen Oppenheimer, admittedly, because I didn't quite have the mental strength for that. But uh, I thought the holdovers was brilliant. What did you think of the win? Well, I thought the holdovers was brilliant, too. I thought the BAFTAs made me happy because it shows that our cultural life is not, you know, is is not dead. There's so many good films. The Zone of Interest I loved. I thought it was a brilliant film showing the, the banality of, of evil of the Nazi period. Uh, American fiction was great. I've not been a Christopher Nolan fan in the past. I have to admit that I thought Tenet was one of the worst major films I've seen in years. But Oppenheimer is a, is a great film. I mean, it is a great film in three acts. Uh, it, it's got a, a great script and I can see why it won. I also love Barbie, to be honest. So I'm slightly disappointed that uh, Greta Gerwig, I mean, Greta Gerwig's direction and, and script and so on. It, it, Barbie is a great, is a great movie. Absolutely great movie. So we'll see how it does at the Oscars. Barbie was a fun movie, but I wouldn't describe it as a great movie. <laughs> well, it cheered me up. Let's put it. Yes. I, was, I, I, went with, I went with a number of people who and I, I knew would enjoy it. And I thought, I'm going to have to tolerate this. So I was, I was happily pleased. Let's put it that way. <laughs> And Hugh Grant made up a sardonic little ditty to the tune of the Oompa Loompa song in Wonka. Yeah, I was thinking of doing a rendition of this, but it's probably better if I don't. Yeah, look it up for yourself. Thanks so much, Gavin. Thank you very much. It's going to be a very interesting week, I think. It is. And you can support us to keep making bunkers for just £3 a month. As the ad market gets tougher, we're even more grateful for your support. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast. I'm Ros Taylor, and thanks for listening. Start Your Week from the Bunker was written and presented by Ros Taylor with Gavin Esler. The producer was Liam Tate and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis and the group editor is Andrew Harrison. With music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by Jim Parrott, Start Your Week from the Bunker is a Podmasters production. Podmasters.